Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another episode of the NGSC Weekly Show on NGSCSports.com at NGSC Sports Radio. I'm your host, Joshua Zimmer, as always, joined by Mr. John Doucette. John, how are you doing this evening? Josh, it's always good to be with you. Hey, it's, it's always good to have you. It's, yeah, you know, it's, well, it's good to have you as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. You make me feel pretty good. Well, I appreciate it. It's a good way to start. So, well, obviously, John, you know, with the World Cup going on, uh, I, I know you're just a sports guy in general. Did you get a chance to tune in to Team USA's two games the press, uh, over the I weekend? have not, but I think this is a big deal for a league that's – for a sport that's trying to get a women's professional league in – to the mainstream here in this country. I think that that team, you know, making it to the knockout stage and playing in Edmonton next Monday was a big deal, not only for them, for the league, but also for Fox, because they spent an awful lot of money to, uh, to air the women's world cup. And so far it's been a good deal for all, all three. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. Uh, not the biggest of soccer fans, but with it being team USA, I will obviously, tune in to show my patriotism. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, uh, you know, and actually, you know, Jamie Council wrote a good article on it with her soccer background. Uh, The USA didn't look very sharp against Sweden, but you watched the game last night and it was a completely different team. Uh, If if that's the way they're going to play for the remainder of this, uh, of this cup tournament, I have no doubts that Team USA should be the team that will be, you know, basically standing on top of the podium uh, when it's all said and done. Cause well, I guess Japan is the other team that you have to put in strong consideration here. I guess that's a team that also has uh, loaded with talent and plays very well. And uh, uh, that, uh, I guess, is another team that they probably have to uh, have in the same conversation. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, I think Brazil would be another team that you would have to add in there for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, Group D, it was pretty tough. Um, it, it never fails. It seems like the United States always gets hosed, whether if it's men's the World Cup or the women's World Cup. They always get put into the toughest toughest grouping pool. Uh, you look at last year uh, in the men's World Cup. Uh, I believe we had like Italy and Germany and some of those teams. Uh, and then you look at this year, we have Australia, Sweden, and then, you know, the, the one 
I don't want to say easy because, you know, it's not easy to play, but Nigeria, um, you know, and then the USA's came out pretty, uh, they came out pretty good, obviously, you know, two wins and a tie. And now I have to say, I think the, the, right the Canadian um, fan base is the thing that I've been most impressed with. I didn't realize that this sport up there was as popular as it appears to be, unless this is because it's a World Cup event. Well, I, to be honest with you, I think it's because of the United States, of how close they are to the United States. Well, that's true. You're, you're correct. Yeah. The United States, that's the reason why it's blown up a lot more. Now, if, it, if this was hockey, yeah. Is this well, yeah, that, that's another, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, obviously, right. but, I, you know, we were watching the game last night, and we were flipping between, uh, you know, the United States game, and then we were flipping through the Australia and Sweden game waiting for, uh, well, at least I was waiting for the NBA Finals to start because that was more important to me. <laughs> but you looked into the stands, you know, the USA game was loaded. I mean, it didn't look like there was an open seat. And then you go to the Australia, you go to the Australia game, and it looked like you could basically, uh, you know, show up at the game and, and get in. That one. Oh, I, I think oh, now oh, Canada oh, also oh, made it to the knockout stage, which I also think is very important to the financial success of this thing. Yeah, I I think so too, just because they're the host country. But hold right. the phone, hold the phone. We are being joined by the boss. Wow. Mr. Ralph Garcia. Ralph, how are you doing this evening? Why you say, boys? Wow. <laughs> Apparently there's trouble. That's why he's here early. John? Yes. Oh, John. Yes. No, actually, John, I, I, I couldn't resist. I mean, uh-huh. hang out hang out with you guys and talk sports. Uh, let's do this, Mr. Host. Oh, yes, sir. And we were talking, Ralph, a little bit about, you know, the World Cup. But with the USA not playing, uh, and there's a couple other topics that we'll start before we get into the uh, the main dish um, going around the sports world right now. Uh, one of them is the fact that I think Johnny Football is dead. Uh, the, the whole myth of Johnny Football appears to be in the back window uh, after Johnny Manziel had his uh, interview with NFL Total Access after the second uh, minicamp practice this afternoon, um, basically going back saying last year was a disaster, that everything rubbed off on him, and that he kind of got a little bit bigger than what he should, and he was kind of buying into the hype, and he was loving it. And then he... uh, what is that? That's uh, Johnny Football. Oh. Yeah, it was a bird. Sounds like a bird. But uh, and he, he, the biggest thing, the biggest moneymaker. It sounds like Uncle Fester. It certainly did. <laughs> yeah. You remember Uncle Fester, John? I do, yes. Uh, no, Josh, I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> That came out of nowhere. I know it was. I was like, "What's going on here?" But uh, but no, the biggest money maker is that he's gonna re, he's gonna retire the money sign. The money money man's L sign appears to be done. Uh, 
So I, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but real quick, what do you think? I mean, if you've had a chance to listen or even read some of the statements that Manziel made today uh, in his conference, what does that necessarily say about the approach that he's going to be taking uh, within this upcoming year, you know, heading into the 2015 season? I like it already. Yeah. I, I, I do. I, look, he's right. Last year was a disaster. He came in with a gigantic head. It just didn't work. He got himself into more trouble than he could possibly have ever envisioned. It didn't help the Browns out either. It became somewhat of a public relations mess. So I think the idea that he's decided to revert 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction, I think is good news for the Browns. It's good news for the NFL, and it's probably good news for him. Yeah, and what what you say about that, Ralph? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I, I'll tell you this. I am from New York City, and some of my travels have not, or have taken me to places that, well, we won't talk about them on the air. We shouldn't. But I say that to say, along those travels, I knew people, and they were good people deep down inside, but honestly, they were, they were no good. They didn't know right from wrong. They didn't know any better, and but, you know, they knew what to say. And each time they knew what to say. And the next time they did something, they did something, they, they knew what to say. And Johnny Football, I'll tell you guys, remember Saturdays when we would see the beauty that was the Texas A&M offense? As a matter of fact, we didn't even know what we were going to get because Johnny Football was basically the most innovative thing on wheels, well, at least behind center. Question, of course, being, can it translate to Sunday? Well, I'm going to end it with this. Uh, Johnny Football, I I see your lips moving, but you ain't saying the damn thing. (laughs) You know what, I like it. So I guess uh, guess we'll end that with saying that we need to keep an eye on it uh, all throughout training camp. Uh, because that's going to be the biggest thing. Because if people don't remember, they did lose Brian Hoyer. You know, he did sign with the Houston Texans this year. But they also brought in a guy by the name of Josh McCown, who had one great year for the Chicago Bears as a backup, and then basically floundered and is the reason why the Bucks had the number one pick last year. Ooh, uh, ooh, so this could, be a, this could be a disaster ooh, if Johnny ooh. doesn't win this job. And truly, like you said, Ralph, put his money where his mouth is. Uh, not only will this blow up in Johnny Manziel's face, but this will blow up in the face of the Cleveland Browns, and they'll probably be crossing off Manziel's name and getting ready to add another name to that infamous jersey that still hangs around in that coffee shop across from the stadium. Oh, oh, Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. Oh, Mr. Cotter, I got a question, Mr. Cotter. How the hell is that going to stop him from being knocked on his ass every Sunday? <gasps> Not at all. I see your lips moving, but you ain't saying a bleeping, bleeping thing. And, and one last thing we'll touch, too, before we get into uh, the quick minicamp circuit. John brought it up to me. 
uh, and it's kind of something that's hot news that I can't believe that I didn't put on the, the original agenda for us, but the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals, I almost said Arizona Cardinals because I'm thinking football, are being investigated by the FBI for allegedly hacking Houston, the Houston Astros. Now, was it like a, a statisticians type deal, John? What was going on there? No, no, they, they supposedly, uh, if, if we are to believe the FBI, they, they hacked into their computers and into their files to uh, get access to all of the, the information and the behind-the-scenes theories and philosophies that the Astros are using toward their minor league system, toward trades, and toward anything else, player development, uh, that is going on with this team. And it's all centered around a former Cardinal employee who now works for the Houston Astros, who set up the, the Cardinal program that has really allowed the, the Cardinal player development and their minor league system and their draft to be as good as it's been over the years. He's now in Houston doing the same thing, and uh, it appears that some uh, Cardinal employees decided that they wanted to check up to uh, see what kind of progress was being made in Houston and did it the wrong way. Well, apparently, and I don't think you have to, if you really want to make a checkup, just go to ESPN or MLB.com and look at the standings. I'm pretty sure that that'll speak uh, speak volumes for itself. Um, have we heard well, anything of the latest on this? Well, the Whether or not was, they've made any charges or things like that. Oh, no, not yet. No, the, now, the commissioner was here in Boston yesterday and uh, held a, a press conference at Fenway Park to uh, to tell uh, the media that uh, the Major League Baseball was going to fully cooperate with this FBI investigation. He clearly wasn't happy discussing this at all, uh, and uh, it would lead me to believe that if any of this is true, or if all of this is true, that he plans to come down real hard on the St. Louis Cardinals when the time arrives. Now, now, there, there's been other talk. I, I've been listening recently to some reports here within the last hour, and it's just reporters with their own take, but, you know, guys who who are on the inside, at least knowing the Cardinals and the Astros organization. Something was brought up real quick, John. If the St. Louis Cardinals were doing this, why the Houston Astros? Why not the San Francisco Giants? Well, of course, we're talking about, I believe it's Jeff Lunhow, or Lunhow, something like that. Uh, yes. Who is now uh, GM, I believe, at uh, Houston. That's and, correct. of course, worked for the St. Louis Cardinals in their organization. And he brought some employees with him. And right. some of the some of the speculation, John, and and I, you you got to wonder because something that was brought up very important about this was, John, we've been following the St. Louis Cardinals for half a decade, but more than half a decade, over half a decade, half a century, and you know, like they say the 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 uh, the Patriot way, there's the Cardinal way, and the one thing about the St. Louis Cardinals that has been consistent throughout the 50 years I've been watching listening to baseball is their integrity to the game, their respect of the game. And one of the, uh, how do you say, what, uh, speculation going around, John, that it's a possibility. You figure if you took a couple of employees with him, we don't know how deep this goes. Could this be something along the lines where a couple of guys were like, hey, John, hey, John, it's me, Ralph. Hey, let, let's, see if, uh, let's see if the boss's uh, uh, login and password still work in Houston. Yeah, it, it, it does sound like that's a possibility, and and uh, yeah. I, I just, you know, you, you talk about the Cardinal integrity, and, and I agree. I mean, the Cardinals have been a model franchise for for many years. Uh, people have always marveled at the way that their minor league system is run, the way they draft, the way their player development staff is is in operation, 
Yeah, you, you do wonder if a couple of guys involved with the Cardinal organization at this point just wanted to see if the password and, and, and the username worked, I guess. And, or, and voila, or. it did. And then they just decided to keep going from there and unfortunately uh, went too far. As I said, I mean, the, the commissioner was here in Boston yesterday and was very unhappy talking about this subject. Um, and I think it's, if, if any of this is proven, as I said, I think the commissioner will come down very hard on the Cardinals. And it's, it's unfortunate because it'll be a stain that's going to be awfully hard for them to get rid of. Uh, yeah, especially, especially, let's just say, for example, that it isn't some guys just saying, oh, jeez, man, password work, we didn't even mean it. Get out, get out. But let's say that it is. Uh, someone in the organization, I'm hoping for the Cardinal way, which I don't think is going to make any difference for the Cardinals. Maybe Commissioner Manfred or some others will go lightly, uh, public opinion, but is this a personal? There's another angle. You know, employees that move on to other companies that compete against the company that they were just with, or in this case, team and team, could this be something in the lower ranks within the, the, the people that he brought with him, and, you know, guys just doing something very stupid, but I don't think it's going to make any difference as to how the Cardinals are going to pay. No, I agree. I don't think it'll make any difference. And, and the part of it that I find interesting is if the Astros were still in the National League, okay, I could buy it to like a very, very small extent, but now the Astros are in the American League, and, and even though there is in a league and, and it happens all the time and everybody basically plays each other at some point, in the, in the 162-game schedule, still, there's no need to be this stupid. No. Yeah. No, not at all. I completely agree with you on that one, John. And, and I also completely agree with the Ralph, uh, with the points that you've made too, Ralph. Uh, now, now, the other reason why the commissioner was in Boston yesterday was to talk about safety and to talk about uh, what ballparks may end up doing in terms of uh, creating more fan safety based on the uh, – the bad incident of a couple of weeks ago that took place at Fenway Park. And uh, he uh, is also uh, very much interested in seeing what can be done to ensure that, unfortunately, broken bats don't cause the kind of damage that they did at Fenway Park about two or three weeks ago. Amen. Amen, yeah. Amen. Amen agreed. It it, it does appear that there's going to be something done. It's just a question of how far. Well, and I mean, you would expect something to be done. I mean, look, you know, uh, you know, obviously not going to get too too in depth into this. Uh, we're going to get ready to turn it to the NFL, but to end it, I mean, like you said, something's going to be done. They just don't know what. You look at what happened in the NHL, right? When uh, I believe it was a young fan was hit in the face with a puck, and it you know ended up killing her. Uh, now they have the netting surrounding almost virtually the entire rank, you know, uh, once you get into the bottom of the boards. Um, I would not be surprised if you see the nets extended or even nets raised. Uh, you know, I think that could be a, a place that they're going to take. Um, but at the same time, too, you have to kind of look at the fact that, you know, when you're sitting that close, I mean, you have to kind of expect it. I mean, because... Now, say it wasn't a broken bat, but it was a foul ball. What are you going to say? Oh, you can't have a foul ball. You know, you're, well, we're going to put nets because people are getting hit by foul balls. It's been happening for 100 years. And it's going to continue to happen because that's the way that physics physically works. So, you know, to end it, I, I agree with you. I think they're going to do something about it, but they don't know what they're going to do exactly. 
on it. But turning the docket, you know, we're going to talk some NFL because you, you know me. I love – I don't like talking about anything else. And no, with, not you. Yeah, why not, right? And with rookie minicamp getting started here, you know, uh, for all the players, OTAs have basically finished up. Most teams are now starting to get into their second day or even their first day of team mandatory minicamp. Uh Basically treat this like as if we were at the bar and have a round table discussion on this. What are some of the big hit you know, big hitting questions that not only you guys are kind of puzzled about, but maybe fans in the NFL themselves are puzzled about. You know, I'll tell you the one thing that I'm excited about, but at the same time a little skeptical, is the fact that uh you guys ever heard of a guy named Toby Gerhardt? Ah, never. Never before. Yeah, 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 me neither. Yeah, me neither. But apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars thought he was worth the money that they gave him last year, which was a four-year, $12.5 million contract with eight of it guaranteed. He only started about four or five games. Now they were average starts at that with that offense, but nonetheless, it was a four or five, you know, it was a four or five-game start. Then enters Denard Robinson. A little bit of wiggle and dash, you know, the old shoelace Michigan quarterback, and then he kaputs. He gets hurt and gets put on IR. They drafted this young cat, in my, and uh, Ralph, with you being an SEC guy, you might know a little bit of this guy, a uh, little young guy by the name of T.J. Yeldon, running back out of the University of Alabama. And uh, apparently this dude is – the second coming of Fred Taylor. Uh, they're expecting this kid to not only get all the first-team reps, which he did in all of the uh, 10 OTA practices, but they also expect him to be the starter by week one, barring any injuries, of course. But the biggest surprise to me is that they uh, – expect him to be a third down, a three-down running back, a guy that they're not going to take off the field. Um, that's probably the biggest news for me that I'm kind of interested about just because of the fact that, you know, they spent all this money to get Toby Gerhardt out of Minnesota last year, and then now it's basically like he's going to become a glorified fullback, which is what he should have been in the first place. But a fullback's not worth $12.5 million. No. So, I'm kind of interested to see how he's going to fit into that offense with Blake Bortles. Obviously, some of the weapons they added with Julius Thomas this year as a free agent signing. I mean, that was a huge contract. I think it was like $55 million. Uh, and then you look at some of the receivers they added last year that came on, Alan Hearns, Marquise Lee. Uh, they also got this big boy out of Penn State, Alan Robinson, who's been surprising and opening some eyes at OTAs. Uh, if you need any proof, just go to Big Cat Country on Twitter. And this dude has just absolutely jumped in, in hype for days. So it's going to be fun to watch him. And then, of course, you know me, I like Marcus Mariota. I like the fact that he's kind of moving along nicely down there in Tennessee, saying that he's going to be more of a more of a spread offense from what I've actually read and uh, from who I've talked to so far, which is kind of surprising. Because when you look at Ken Whitman, he's not a spread offense type guy. But uh, I could go on for days about this because, like I said, you guys know me, but I want to turn it over to you, John. I'll go with you first. What's the biggest one for you 
that. Well, the one for me is, is is the one in Dallas between Des Bryant and the Cowboys. Uh, Bryant didn't show up for the first day of minicamp. He still hasn't signed his franchise tag offer sheet. He wants to get paid. Doesn't like the way the Cowboys have been doing this. And it appears that the tug of war between Des Bryant and Jerry Jones has about to begin. And uh, we'll see who uh, not only wins this tug of war, but how long it takes before a victory is finally uh, established. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the Des Bryant thing is the biggest thing with me. Um, uh, did you mention his tweet? I You cut out the last second there for me. Did you get oh, no, I didn't. You, you're the, I didn't see the tweet. You apparently saw the tweet, but I can imagine, considering it's Des Bryant, it had to have been a good one. I, I did, and, I, and I'll actually read it for you. He says, I understand, you know, $13 million is all cool and all, but where's my security? Question mark. I'll wait, dot, dot, dot. I've waited five years, but what's on me? Hashtag family first. So apparently he's not budging. Um, no, and, I, and it also sounds like he wants to be the highest paid player in the league. And that, that ain't going to happen. That, that ain't going to happen at all. Um, right. Why? Why? And here's why I ask, why, why, why? These guys turn around, and people give them, <clears throat> others give them a hard time because they want to get paid. Well, the NFL, it's all set up, NFL. You make a lot of money. You think that if we work for a corporation that makes so much and we are the key to the production of this company, we're just going to sit there and say, hey, we're going to let you guys get paid and not us get paid. The problem I have, John, it goes back to the old days. Remember the days in baseball when a baseball player would get paid for the year before where a Roger Maris could have an incredible year one year, but if the next year he didn't, well, I guess he knew he was going to take a pay cut. These guys, and this has been my biggest pet peeve, then don't sign the contract you signed. Don't sign it. If you think if a five-year contract, $60 million, front-loaded, $12 million bonus, blah, 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 glad that $12 million looks good, so you take the contract, then why the hell are you complaining three years later? Because now you have these stats. Listen, there's no question. Des Bryant it can make the argument of being the best receiver in the NFL right now. All right? He can make that argument. No question about it. He can make it. that argument, but and here we go, Ralph. Like, real quick, I'm going to cut you off. Because this, this is why I believe they're not going to pay him. You, you look at the focal point of that offense last year. It was DeMarco Murray. All right? They didn't want to pay him the money. They let him walk. You cannot tell me that... Des Bryant is more important to that offense than Des Bryant. He is now. Because you got to remember, you got he is now. You, know, you got Jason Wins and you got Terrence Williams. All right, and they also got a couple young cats coming up too at receiver that aren't bad either. You know, and they also got Jose Escobar. They didn't have a. They don't have a running back. You know, they they can't count on Joseph Randall because he can't stay out of trouble. He's been he's been in trouble with the police three times this past season alone which is something else we'll get into here in, uh, in the second hour. But, you know, going back to it, they let DeMarco Murray walk, who ended up signing a huge contract in Philly. Which, I personally do not believe that Des Bryant should be arguing about this money. All right. As for I don't believe but, in general that yeah, players Josh, themselves That makes it the focal point. That makes him the focal point of the offense now. 
I mean, don't you think that maybe the Cowboys did this? They had to make a choice. There's no way the Cowboys could pay DeMarco Murray and Des Bryant. And had they kept DeMarco Murray at even close to the money he was looking for, then they wouldn't have any money to even try to play with Des Bryant. So they had to make a choice. Which one do we count on rely on more? The upside is Des Bryant. We have to pay him. And now you make a great point about why they won't pay him, but they set themselves up because you're right. You said it very well. DeMarco Murray was the focal point. The focal point now becomes Des Bryant. John, without Des Bryant, what the hell are the Cowboys going to do on offense? Oh, I agree. It's going to be very difficult for them because they would just become a a one-target passing attack, which would be Romo to Jason Witten, and that's pretty much it. Uh, They do need Des Bryant, and he knows that, and that's why I think that he is trying to maneuver the way he is and and trying to put pressure on the Cowboys to finally give in and give him what he thinks he deserves, and that's why he's not showing up to minicamp. It's why he hasn't signed the franchise tag. It's why he's not interested in it. Uh, And that's why I say the tug-of-war between Bryant and Jones has begun, and it's probably going to be a tug-of-war that goes through the summer. And, Josh, I want to touch on uh, uh, T.J. Yeldon and and Toby Gerhardt because you look at what the Jaguars, and again, all opinion, my opinion, but you look at what the Jaguars have not been able to do. I, I, I remember a time with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and give me what was their quarterback, uh, uh, ooh, ooh, Scott Brunell. And, and, Mark, and Mark Brunell. Mark, Mark Brunell. Brunell. Yeah. Right, Mark Brunell. Mark Brunell and, and, and Steve McNair and the Titans and Jaguars were having their wars uh, each year for, for, for a division title. Well, of course, those times are, are gone for Jacksonville. They're building around Bortles, and they're looking at T.J. Yeldon. Now, mind you, let's remember that it's the excitement also of the running backs that have come out of Alabama. Alabama has been famous for being able to recruit four- and five-star running backs. Well, like we get up and put our slippers on. Very easy for them. Of course, remember, like I always say, guys, I don't care what you do on Saturday because if it doesn't translate over to Sunday, well, tough noogies, as they say. But for the Jacksonville Jaguars... You're completely right on that, Ralph. You're completely right on that because, real quick before I throw it back to you, uh, there's only... There's one player that I can list that completely uh, solidifies that statement, and that's Trent Richardson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then Mark Ingram. Let, let, let's be for real. Heisman Trophy winner Mark Ingram. What kind of career has he had in the NFL? Not even solid yet, though he's a back that you can obviously count on. Is he's already proven that the durability he had in college has translated over into the NFL. So the Saints keep on. So the Jaguars... The Jaguars are looking at it like, okay, we've got Gerhardt right here. We paid him the money. We get Yeldon. And we're thinking that Yeldon is not going to be another Trent Richardson from Alabama. So now we get more multifaceted, as they say, more weapons. We can use Gerhardt as a fullback. We also can use him as a feature back as well when Yeldon's not there. You can use these guys in two different ways, therefore also giving Blake Bortles you know, other options to keep himself on his feet. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's going to be the biggest thing. But uh, you can't keep him on your feet if the offensive line is still piss poor. Uh, And that remains to be seen. So while they're doing a great job of building weapons around this kid, 
virtually trying to build the mold of what the Colts did with Andrew Luck when they had, you know, Garcon in there, and then they also had, uh, you know, Akeem Nix and Reggie Wayne and T.Y. Hilton came in, and then they drafted two tight ends. Yeah, it's great to get awesome weapons around these guys. But I'm telling you right now, Blake Bortles is not Andrew Luck. And you look at what Andrew Luck can do with a a piss-poor offensive line. He can lead them to the AFC Championship game. Blake Bortles, they're going to be led to the hospital probably about week six, week seven. Why not? So, I mean, but I agree with you. You know, I'm hoping that they do something, and I'm hoping that this kid provides a spark because that's the other big thing is every time these this team gets a big name, something bad happens. Justin Blackman can't stay out of trouble. Unfortunate incident with Dante Fowler this year blowing out his knee. Uh, they're, they're trying to get the face of their franchise, and it just continues to put on them. So I'm really hoping that something pulls out for them. Because, I mean, it's, it's not a bad team to root for. And they do have a cooler logo than what they've had in the in previous seasons, uh, if, if that's any better for some of the fans out there. But, uh, but no, Ralph, big one for you before we uh, before we change it up and, and take a quick break here. What do you think about the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. and Victor Cruz are both sitting out of minicamp? You know. There goes another pet peeve of mine. Hey, I just said it. You signed a contract. Now, if you don't have one and you're sitting out to negotiate, depending on the situation of your team, everybody looks at it as greed. But we all know football, you have to work. You've got to work. Hey, John, you remember the greats back in the days. From what I remember, John, and you'll, you'll, you'll help me out with my memory, these guys showed up. They were going to work on their contracts, but they showed up because they knew that showing up meant putting in the work. And I get tired of these guys. You know, you're talking about two talented young men. And get a, play, practice, OTAs, do everything that you're supposed to do because all that does is set you back and set your team back. So that helped. Why? My, you asked my, I think it's stupid. Now, well, I think in Victor I, Cruz's I will make case, sure and say this quick. Victor Cruz is sitting out because of an injury. Yeah, I was say, yeah. Beckham is sitting out due to a hamstring as well. But if you remember the distaste he had during OTA saying that he deserves and that he believes he should have a bigger contract already. From uh, what? From what? You know, Josh, exactly. what, what year is this? What year is he in? Exactly. It's his second year. He made a couple of really sweet catches last year. He blew the NFL by storm. But hey, you want, you want I didn't see him lead your team to the playoffs. Huh? Playoffs? What? For real? Come on. I'm like, dude, please, give me a couple of more years of this and then start bitching and moaning about some money that you want. But like I said, and I said it again, you had no problem when your name was called in the draft. You had no problem wearing that uniform when it was given to you. You had no problem getting on the football field and playing in your rookie season. You didn't know what you were going to do. And don't tell us that you were going to do exactly what you did, Mr. Odell Beckham Jr., because you're lying. So you did. And you pro- now prove it again. And try to prove it one more time. And that way you can tell the Giants or anywhere else you might want to go, 
Now you have to pay me. These guys are incredible. Come on. Seriously? Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. Um, so I, I wanted to get your take on that because I know with you being a Giants fan, uh, I know that you were going to have something good to say. Uh, take a quick break here real quick. Of course, you're listening to the weekly show on NGSCSports.com and NGSC Sports Radio. You can tune in to us on iHeart, Spreaker, and also iTunes. Taking a look at some of the articles that have been posted up here previously uh, within the last couple days by some of our talented writers. D is for the group of death. Of course, we're talking about the Women's World Cup, and that was written by our own Jamie Council. Who is left to challenge the Seattle Seahawks? Written by none other than G. Stelio. We have the last 48 for June 16, 2015, by your very own, the CEO, Mr. Ralph Garcia. And then, of course, I'll go ahead and throw myself some sugar. As I take a rookie spotlight, when I'm starting a five-week series on some Vikings rookies, and look at Trey Waynes, the Vikings' top pick, and how he looks to solidify the secondary. If I may add, if I may add, Josh, I would like uh, everyone, and obviously I'm trying to be prepared here, and I'm not, but uh, it is stuff to stay tuned for. Stay tuned for uh, tomorrow morning for the latest edition of Last 48, as I will, of course, talk about the 40-year wait that is was over last night as the Golden State Warriors uh, won the NBA title, four games to two over LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, I'll give you a take on that uh, on the Last 48. Uh, on Last 48, I got it over here. Here it is. On Last 48... I'll talk a little bit more about what we covered, uh, what we talked about earlier. Johnny Football. Is Johnny Football dead? Or is Johnny Football playing dead? And, of course, uh, from one of our newest writers, uh, Michael Pallas, uh, you will see tomorrow the FBI Cardinals probe hacking Astros. Of course, the hacking situation going on with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros. Uh, this, of course, and everything else, uh, as Josh just said, remember, uh, we're on NGSCSports.com. Check out all the content and, uh, you know, listen, read. And as they say in this uh, business, and now, back to Josh Zimmer. Hey, yes, sir. Thank you, Ralph. So, little uh, me and John are used to Montel throwing me the throwing me back. So it's always great to hear your voice. Uh, we're being joined now by Lake Lewis Jr., who covers the Washington Redskins, which I'm also I'm I'm pretty stoked about because I've been waiting for this one. Uh, I'm gonna pick his brain about RG3 all day. So I hope he's ready. Lake, how you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm good, gentlemen. How you doing? Hey, doing good. Thank you for coming on. Uh, have you introduce you real quick to Mr. Ralph Garcia and John Doucette. Fellas, Lake hey, Lewis. Lake, good of you to join us. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So I have to ask you first, Lake, what made you want to be a Redskins, uh, cover the Washington Redskins? 
were you a fan of them growing up? Or was that just a team that kind of just you had to pick? Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm actually from, uh, originally from the Washington, uh, D.C. area. And uh, okay. I uh, uh, started this company called Sports Journey uh, Media, and we pretty much cover anything and everything, but we uh, got our full uh, credentialing with the NFL and, uh, you know, with me being from the area, I figured, you know what? Let me cover this team, see what it can do. But I originally started out covering the Ravens, and Ravens and Redskins aren't necessarily fond of each other. <laughs> so <laughs> I was kind of given an ultimatum by each team. Listen, uh, you can't keep going back and forth up the road. You've got to decide on which team you want to cover. And I picked the Redskins. Um, so, yeah, you know, part of me, uh, you know, being from the area, you wanted to cover a team that you grew up rooting for. But now – it's business, you know. I, I kind of lost the fandom maybe about four years ago, where I, I I really could care less, you know, what happens on Sundays. But I will say this: if they win, business is good. So you do pull for them to win. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Well, I'm going to get right at it with you, man. What can we expect from RG3? Is he going to have a rookie type season, or is he is this basically the last straw before? we see you guys potentially draft a new guy. Well, you know, I, I will say this. Um, I, I think Robert over the last several years has, has, you know, been hit or miss. And unfortunately, a lot of them have been misses. And I think, you know, when we take a step back and look at the dynamics of why it's been that way, you have to think last year he had a new head coach, uh, you know, new structure, just different way of doing things from, uh, you know, running that read option under Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan. So I think any young quarterback would have struggled, you know, initially to get their feet wet in a new system. So I think coming into this year, this off season, being in the same system again and really being forced to play the quarterback position the way it's really supposed to be played, I think now it appears to us here in the media in this area that maybe the light bulbs come on. Because yesterday, without question, was the best practice I've ever seen Robert have since he's been here. And it wasn't just myself. Several of my colleagues have said the same thing. He just he just looked like he knew what he was doing. All of a sudden, the light bulb came on. He followed that up today with a really no, another strong performance. Had a great you know touch pass to uh, Logan Paulson. It was kind of a fade route into the back of the end zone. And those are passes that he never made before. Uh, just the, just the, the way he walks now. He looks like he has that swagger back that he had from 2012. So, obviously, this is minicamp. There's no pads on. <laughs> you know, they haven't uh, seen any bullets yet. So, you know, we're kind of still reserved. But he does look a lot confident in, in his second year in Jay Gruden's offense. And that's kind of good. It's like you said, uh, you know, uh, you look at how he played as a rookie. Uh, I mean, as the young bucks would say, he was flowing with swag. Uh, he looked like he was virtually untouchable. And then you, uh, fortunate, has that injury, and it seems like it's gone downhill from there, and his confidence is, is damn near zero. Um, but talk about some of the offensive pieces around them. Uh, you know, is this going to be kind of the year where – we can expect more out of Deshaun Jackson from what we've been seeing out of him uh, when he was 
you know, basically running mates with Jeremy Macklin up there in Philly. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will say this. If you look at Deshaun Jackson's numbers last year, those were the second-best numbers he had in his career, believe it or not. Uh, he had the second-most yards, um, you know, in a season, and that was, you know, second to the, his one and only year under Chip Kelly. So, you know, he did a lot of things. Um, he had second-most catches he had in his career. And, you know, you think about the fact that he was targeted 30 less times than that best year with Chip Kelly. And then all the while he did that with three quarterbacks that was, you know, musical chairs there. So I think Deshaun Jackson is obviously primed to have another Deshaun Jackson year. I'm not sure if Deshaun Jackson will ever be a 90-catch receiver. Uh, I think he's, he's, a, he's a weapon that you don't throw the ball to that many times. When you do throw it to him, he has a chance to go to the house. So... Pierre Garçon on the other side, Alfred Morris. They've got a young kid that's really turning heads here, Matt Jones, uh, you know, fourth-round draft pick out of uh, Florida. And today he was getting a lot of, uh, you know, first-team reps too. So uh, I don't want to look too far into that and say anything about Alfred Morris' place on the team, but clearly Matt Jones wasn't brought here to stand on the sidelines either. So um, I, I think the team realizes that the best cure for all ills for Robert Griffin is to be able to run the ball more effectively, and that's by committee this year. I think they're going to have several guys touch the football, a young guy by the name of Chris Thompson who, you know, has had some injuries. Um, He's a guy that's turning some heads too because he has, you know, 4-3 speed. So, you know, I think Jay Gruden and, and the coaches realize that in order for Robert Griffin to be successful, it was to upgrade the offensive line, which they did by drafting Brandon Sheriff, you know, with their, uh, you know, first-round pick, but also to be able to run the football to take the pressure off of, of Robert Griffin throwing the ball 30, 40 times a game. Yeah, and, and I got and I got one last one for you before I uh, before I release the hounds and have my co-host go at you. Um, talk about some undrafted guys who could potentially make the roster. Uh, one guy uh, for me who. Uh, virtually kind of sticks out is wide receiver Kenny Bell from or Reggie Bell, excuse me, from the University of San Diego. Um, tell me a little bit about him from what you've seen uh, with him working. Obviously, they drafted Jamison Crowder this year from Duke. Uh, does this kid have a legitimate shot, or is it kind of a crowded receiver score right now? Yeah, I don't think he has a shot at all. And, and you know, he, he could be a practice squad guy. This receiving core is just too loaded, too deep. Uh, today, you know, Jay Gruden, um, after practice, told us he, he was gushing, talking about Ryan Grant, you know, who was a guy that came in last year from Tulane and, and really lit it up in the preseason, but obviously got caught in the numbers game. When you're, you know, playing behind Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon, and then, you know, Andre Roberts on top of that, it's just hard to really get into a rotation. Um, you know, I, I think I think Bell or any undrafted guy at that position is pretty much auditioning for another team, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you're getting work in with two Pro Bowl caliber players, so you're definitely having to enhance your game. Um, I will say Jamison Crowder, though, is the guy that's putting a lot of heat on Andre Roberts. I mean, he's a natural slot guy. You know, a lot of people don't know, but he was the uh, ACC's all-time leader in uh, receptions, you know, at Duke. So, 
he's come in and he's turned some heads. You know, he he really knows the nuances of the slot position, you know, how to move around in the middle of the field and separate himself. So he's uh, turning some heads. And I actually predicted the other day here locally that I think by midseason, Jameson Crowder will be the Redskins starting slot receiver over Andre Roberts. And and, and that'll be a surprise in my opinion. Uh, James Crowder's a guy that I really like. I think he's going to bring a lot to the table for them. Uh, and I'm going to open it up. Uh, I'll turn it over to the CEO. That way I don't get in trouble. So, Ralph, go ahead and uh, go at him. Great. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first thing you said, I have two questions. One, Alfred Morris. Two, Brandon Scherf. First with Morris. I, I, I picked him the last three years in fantasy football. Uh, I did that the first time in his rookie season because, well, he was the first available running back when it was time for me to pick in that round. Lucky for me, lucky for me, of course. Of course, he had you know had a great rookie season, over 1,600 yards rushing, uh, 13 touchdowns, you know, so it was pretty pretty good season. But as the seasons have gone on, and he's played 16 games in each of these three seasons, he's gone from 1,600 under 1,300 to just under 1,100 yards. And the effect that that has on the Washington Redskins and the fact that, of course, we're looking at an Alfred Morris who was expected to play and grow and mature with RG3. Of course, that hasn't happened due to injury and circumstance and how important that must be to the drop in Morris. Because I, I, when I see him carry the football, I'm seeing a running back who can get 1,500 yards in an NFL season. Absolutely. He, he can get 1,500 yards with his eyes closed. Uh, the, the, the difference is, is that in this offense, you know, Jay Gruden's offense is it's a, it's a pass offense. And, and I know, you know, Jay talks about now they're going to have that power running game. They brought in Bill Callahan, offensive line uh, guru, you know, did some great things with the Cowboys over the past few years. So, you know, they brought him in to, to, to not just help Robert, but to help the running game, you know, it has been stagnant. Um, I think Alfred Morris is, is the knock on him is, is he an individual talent or is he a system back? Um, he, he played in a really, you know, run-heavy system with Mike Shanahan his first couple of years, and that's why you saw those numbers. But in a more conventional, you know, uh, offense where they're going to pass the ball and, and, and run draw plays and, and actually throw bubble screens to their running backs, that's not his strength. You know, his strength is that one cutback, bam, gone. Well, guess what? DeMarco Murray had a lot of success with that, with Bill Callahan being the offensive line coach. So they're trying to duplicate that, you know, here this year. I, I will say this to you, though. Ralph, if you're trying to draft <laughs> Alfred Morris again in fantasy, I wouldn't do it this year because, like I said, Matt Jones, Chris Thompson, Silas Red. Uh, even fullback Darrell Young, they're going to touch the ball. They're going to have a committee backfield. Uh, Alfred definitely is the guy, but is he going to get 13, 1,400 yards? I, I highly doubt it because I just think his touches are going to be limited again this year. Well, Lake, I'm happy to report that I officially retired from fantasy football <laughs> this last season after 13 years in which I played and or won the title 
11 of those 13 years. I told those young boys a long time ago, you know, they say, old man, old man, old man. Well, you see, if you keep saying that long enough, you'll realize what you're saying. I know more than you do. So but you went out they, on top. I was, yeah, and I was forced out. They figured, <laughs> I can't keep pulling a Bill Russell Celtics. Wow. You know, I, I can't keep, yeah, John, it wasn't fair, John. It wasn't fair. And and the thing is, is that they would draft all the name players, the big players, and, and they would scour it. I don't understand these kids. Why do you have to trade for somebody every week? Why do you have to scout? Pick your team. Like I always say, sign the guy to a contract and tell the guy, I expect you to get the job done. A little maneuvering here and there, and they always panic. But it worked out very well for me. Like, so I decided that after nine titles uh, in 13 years, uh, I would retire on top with the last three in a row and say, you know, enough is enough. Uh, but enough about my successful fantasy football career. Uh, I got to tell you, like, I am a New York Giant fan. So let me make some. Let me make something crystal clear. I can't stand the Washington Redskins, but that's fine. I am a. I'm a. I'm a football fan, so I respect the Washington Redskins, especially since growing up. John, we remember, you know, the Hawks, Diesman, Riggins. I can go on and on. I, I didn't even go to defense yet. And the one thing that Theismann knew, or basically whoever was behind center knew, they were protected. They had men up front. And I don't care what you have at skill positions, Lake. If your front seven on either side of the ball can't protect what's behind it, well, you're not going to do much. So with the fifth pick in the NFL draft, the Washington Redskins selected from the University of Iowa, Brandon Scherf. And I said, man, that took me back to the old days of Redskins football. So I'm going to give you this one question in, I think, two or three parts. So the question here with Brandon Scherf is because it's not a question if he's going to be a successful NFL player. Yeah, right. The question right now is, is he going to start at right tackle opposite Trent Williams at left tackle, then take over for Trent when it's time for Trent to call it a day, which at this time would make them one heck of a one-two tandem as far as your tackles are concerned. Therefore, given RG3 something that he hasn't had since he's been there, or does he do, do they do something like, I don't know, move him inside the guard? Uh, but the question, of course, with Scherf, of course, as far as guard is the the edge and speed off the edge, his length and other things that would might hinder him at guard. But it, it is the obvious move, getting him the right tackle, having Williams at left, and basically giving RG3 that protection he needs from both sides. It is. And uh, it's, you know, coincidental that you, you, you mentioned this because I talked to Bill Callahan today after practice, and, you know, he said, listen, you know, the goal, obviously, and he is right now the starting right tackle. Yes, already he is. Um, he's had some moments where he really looked dominant, but he's also had some rookie moments too, and that's to be expected this early in your pro career, uh, you know, to work out the kinks. But there's also a couple other variables that could happen here for the Redskins. One is Morgan Moses, you know, a guy that they took last year at the University of Virginia, uh, you know, he, he kind of struggled 
at times, but uh, and that was because they were moving a left tackle from college, a la Brandon Sheriff, to right tackle. Well, when Trent Williams got hurt and Morgan Moses played um, at left tackle, he actually looked pretty good. I mean, and people started to see that this guy's got some talent. Uh, so maybe, it, you know, he could be a guy that could play right tackle. So right now, even though Brandon Sheriff is the starting right tackle, there's there's an outside chance that he could be moved inside to play guard, like you alluded to, and Morgan Moses could be your starting right tackle. And then by doing that, you'd have a you know extremely younger line with Moses, Sheriff, and then also Spencer Long, who they took last year out of Nebraska. So you know they're they're trying to see where all the pieces are right now. I would venture to say, come week one against Miami, yes. Brandon Scherf's going to get, you know, a full indoctrination into the NFL by having at some point in a game go up against Ndamukong Sue and also have to defend Cameron Wake pretty much consistently. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's your right tackle. Well, it, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure uh, with you answering the questions. And listen, hey, this is the way I feel, and I'll leave it this way. Like, I wish the Washington Redskins – an RG3, an unbelievably successful season, so long as they finish a game behind the Giants. You know, it's okay. And I'll say, I tell people this all the time. I cover the team. Yes, I'm from the area. I have some great relationships with them. But I also have a really good relationship. used to do a broadcast with a gentleman by the name of Victor Cruz. So, (laughs) you know, that's a guy that I'm really tight with and I always like to see him do well. And, and he's working hard to come back from that injury. This guy's all right, Josh. This guy's all right. <laughs> hey, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And, John, I'll go ahead and throw it over to you uh, if you have a couple of questions for him before we uh, let him go and turn into the break. I do. Uh, Blake, it's, it's great of you to join us. You, you talked about Jamison Crowder earlier, and I'm uh, also a big fan of him, having seen him play at Duke. But I'm more interested in him from a specialty team's point of view. It's... It's something that he also did at Duke, returning four punts for touchdowns during his time there. How much time do you, is Jameson Crowder going to be that special teams guy for the Redskins, even if he has time as a slot receiver in that offense? You know, he's getting a lot of work, you know, back there right now. Um, they've got several guys that are capable. I don't think they have one guy right now that is, you know, really jumped to the forefront. Um, they're working, you know, Crowder in. They're working Andre Roberts, who's done – a lot of kickoff and punt returns. Chris Thompson is a guy that's done some. Uh, so they have different guys back there. And, you know, one of the ultimate weapons is that you stick to Sean Jackson back there in a dire straight situation. So um, I do think that Crowder, being a young guy, you know, being a rookie, you know, they have to earn their keep. So I could see him kind of being thrust into that role initially as he works his reps up to get in as far as, you know, some of the set packages that they – I'm sure they're going to implement with him in there. Is that a battle that during the preseason games that really um, kind of defines itself as to who gets the opportunity and maybe who doesn't? I, I think it does. I mean, and let's face it, when you're a young guy, you're going to play more in the preseason anyway, just, just because that's the way it goes. So, you know, the, the only game the young guys probably won't play as much is the third preseason game, which is kind of, a, a, you know, an audition um, for the main starter. So, you know, it depends. If Crowder comes out in the first game and makes a play or two, uh, you know, as a special teams guy, then you'll, you'll see him 
get more opportunities in the second preseason game. Um, I do think that he gives them a dynamic that uh, the Redskins haven't had this in a long time. I mean, you know, Deshaun came in last year and gave them that, that, that special type of athlete that, yes, Robert Griffin can be that guy, but he's playing quarterback. You don't want to see him running. That means something bad happened on that offensive line. But Deshaun came in and, and just gave him speed and athleticism, uh, something they haven't had. And now, and I kind of see the same thing with Crowder. You know, he's not necessarily a game-breaker like Deshaun, but he's so quick underneath. I mean, he's got great footwork, as I'm sure you're aware of. And, and that's something that's going to open the field up for everyone. Everyone on offense can benefit from a guy who's truly a slot guy and not Andre Roberts, who was signed by the Redskins from Arizona to be their number two, and then Deshaun Jackson just happened to fall in their lap. So, you know, you, you already paid Andre Roberts, so you had to put him somewhere. You put him at the slot. That's not his position. So now I think Crowder really could be that guy. And Crowder also has great hands, too, along with the footwork that you mentioned. Awesome. awesome yeah. Man. Now you, play, you. I was just going to say, he made a play last week that I'm not sure – too many receivers on this team could have made. It was just a, a, a route, a slant coming across the middle, and in one full motion, catching the ball and spinning on an incoming safety, and it just it, it got everybody on the sidelines. We were gasping. We've never seen anything like that. So he's got all the tools. He really does. Last question I have for you is this. You, you wrote an article a couple of weeks back about the Redskin defense wanting to become a bit more aggressive do they have the pieces in place to be that way? I think they do. I, I really do. They have – it's just a different unit. It really is. It all starts with their defensive coordinator, though. Joe Barry is an energetic guy. He's a high-motor guy. I really like what I see. He hasn't coached, you know, his first play as their deco, you know, their defensive coordinator at all. But, you know, your, your team's played to the personality of their coaches. And – Jim Hazlitt, you know, I, I didn't hide the fact that I thought Jim Hazlitt should have been out of here maybe three years ago. But, you know, they stuck with him, and you saw the results. It just wasn't a team that played with a lot of fire. Their corners were playing 10, 15 yards off the receiver every play. It just, it just wasn't a unit that was going forward. This team now is in attack mode. You know, they, they have some guys that they feel like can wreak havoc on the field, and it starts up front. As you guys have said yourself, you can't win games if you can't win in the trenches. And by bringing in, you know, Terrence Knighton, that's a big, big, big addition to, to man the middle of the field. Uh, you also have Stephen Paia, who's, who, who, who's a guy that a lot of people don't know about coming from Chicago Bears, but he's strong, and he gives them something. And that's going to help Jason Hatcher not have to be a one-man gang on the, on the defensive line. So, uh, Deshaun Golson comes in, uh, you know, Chris Culliver comes in. So that they've got a lot of pieces they've added that I think is going to help this defense. Blake, it was great of you to come on with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. All right, Lake, and, and yeah, real quick before we uh, before we let you go for the evening, uh, as my two co-hosts know, uh, I'm a former defensive lineman myself, so I completely agree with the statement that you made that you can't win a game if you can't win in the trenches. And in terms of the trenches that you guys have, I'm absolutely drooling, man. 
You got Ryan Kerrigan, who's going to be not necessarily in the trench, but he's more likely going to be a pass rusher. You added Preston Smith this year in the second round. And then, like you said, the two big boys in the middle. Uh, whew. Yeah, you guys are going to yeah, be able to get a lot of pressure off that. You know, uh, and that's going to help open up your front seven, be able to get you guys some pressures, maybe run some stunts with those guys. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see the direction in which that defense is going to go, just with some of the athletic pieces that you guys have added uh, within the last three months. Yeah, yeah. A name for you guys to remember before I go, two names. Remember Keenan Robinson, who, who showed a lot of flashes last year, he looks like a guy that's primed to benefit from all that beef in front of him, technically. And then also, remember Trent Murphy. He was a guy that came from Stanford, you know, kind of didn't fit in Hazlitt's scheme the way, you know, he should have. You know, the guy was dynamic in preseason. So now you're going to see what he can do now. And I think he'll be a nice compliment. He and uh, Preston, they'll be a nice compliment to Ryan Kerrigan on the other side. And hopefully it'll replace some of that pressure that uh, you guys lost uh, in production that you guys lost with Arapo going to Tennessee this year. I'm not sure if they lost a lot of production there. Might <laughs> <laughs> not a lot, nope. lot of production, but I'll tell you one thing. They did lose a lot of talent, that's for sure. Unfortunately, he oh. just oh, couldn't he's gonna have a monster year. He's going to have a monster year in Tennessee, trust me. I, I you know, a great person, by the way. He's one of the, one of the nicest guys you ever meet. You, you want to see him do well. Sometimes, let's face it, guys, sometimes a change of scenery is good for everyone. I would be shocked if Brian Arakpo doesn't get double-digit sacks in Tennessee this year. Woo! You heard it, folks. Double-digit. Double-digit. Maybe 10. He's only been on one time, and he's already calling shots. We're going to have to have him back again. <laughs> We're going to have to have him back again for sure. Anytime, guys, anytime. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming on, uh, taking time out of your evening to talk some uh, Redskins football with us. Uh, like I said, we're definitely going to be having you on in the future, and we'll be keeping in touch. Uh, we hope you have yourself a good evening, and like I said, we'll be uh, we'll be in touch with you later down the road. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. Good job, John. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Ralph, he's he's doing a good job. He's been doing a good job getting some guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there I, you go. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I enjoyed it, too. That wasn't bad at all. So, But, folks, we're going to take, we'll, take a quick 30-second break, and then we'll get into the, the second hour of our two-hour show. Of course, you're listening to the weekly show on NGSC Sports at NGSCSports.com. And you can go and listen to it much more. On Spreaker, iHeart, and iTunes. So we will be back after the break. I wish that I could fly into the 
All right, and welcome back to the flagship show on NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. I'm your host, Joshua Zimmer, joined this evening by the CEO, Mr. Ralph Garcia, and, of course, my IQ, my partner in crime, Mr. John Doucette. So, I tell you what, that first hour was pretty good, man. Uh, Insert John Gruden voice anywhere. Uh, We did a pretty good job there. Anytime you get a chance to talk football, uh, especially with your two minds, and then, of course, adding... Uh, Mr. Lewis's mind there made it a lot better, but we're we're not done with the football talk just yet. Uh, we got one last little topic we got to talk before we will throw it over to the NBA, and that talk is going to be a little bit of a rant. John, me, and you talked about this before uh, the show, and the fact that the committee is picking Auburn versus Ohio State as favorites for the 2016 college football playoff. Ralph, you already know. I'm going to turn it right over to you. Wait a minute. What? Say that again. (laughs) You know, I completely agree. I'm going to say it one more time, nice and clear for you. Auburn versus Ohio State are predicted to be the two favorites, and predicted to be the national championship game of the 2016 college football playoff. So I have to ask, is ESPN a little crazy here? Is the committee a little crazy here? Did they not watch any college football last year? Uh, Come on, help me out. Well, first things first now. Remember that we're talking about college football that well, hasn't had the SEC playing for a while. And well, that's what it seems like. So let's let's put a let's put a uh, an SEC team in there. Well, as far as Ohio State, why aren't we going to choose Ohio State? I, I was one of the first to tell you that I surely didn't expect Ohio State to win the national championship, but they did. And so you would expect Ohio State, especially wouldn't you love to have the problem that Ohio State has a quarterback? Yeah, uh, no kidding. No kidding. I would. I would. So with that said, no question in my mind, Ohio State. Auburn, I'm having a hard time understanding what Auburn brings back that would exclude other teams from the national championship. So, Well, I'll tell you one of them. It's the fact that they have this six foot six second coming of Cam Newton and Jeremy and Jeremy Johnson at quarter, at quarterback for them. But however, I do agree with you. Why not Ole Miss? Yeah, they don't, they're not necessarily going to have a proven quarterback, but that defense is going to be pretty real, uh, especially with Robert Indici, who's going to more than likely be a top ten pick next year, leading the way. And then of course Laquan Treadwell. It's probably going to be one of the best receivers in the entire country. Or why not Mississippi State? A, a team that is probably returning the most experienced quarterback in the, in the entire college football. And, and, and should be better. Should be much better than last year because when you looked at Mississippi State, Mississippi, listen, these two cities were going crazy. They, it, they didn't even understand what was going on there. It was a great story, but now you're looking at a team that has done it 
and brings back the experience, the quarterback they bring back, the team they bring back. Why not Mississippi State if you want to pick? So, yeah, one would tend to say, where'd you get Auburn from? John, where'd they get Auburn from? I think they just threw a name out there to to put it up against Ohio State and, and see if you can get some reaction, which, based on what you two have been saying, yeah, they got some reaction here, didn't they? It's the downtime for college football, so you've got to – if you want to spark some interest in the sport, you've got to come up with something. And so this is what they came up with. And uh, uh, I agree with you, Ralph. Ohio State's got a problem at quarterback that's going to be very interesting to see how Urban Meyer handles this situation. Who plays? How much do they play? What kind of a rotation does he come up with? I think it's a very fascinating and interesting subject that if he doesn't do it right, it probably could blow this football team up before things really even get started. And I no. guess you can... You know, no. name the team that you want to throw out there against uh, uh, if you want to put in as as their opponent for a national championship game, assuming that Ohio State even gets there to begin with. Boo! 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 All right, I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to play Urban Meyer real quick. And, John, you're going to play the role of Braxton Miller. And, Ralph, you'll play the role of J.T. Barrett. All right, I'm sorry. You both are riding the pine pony. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Braxton, you got, you got a shoulder that's had two surgeries. J.T., yeah, you played great for us last year, but you busted your ankle. And this guy beat Alabama, and then he led me to a national championship, something that I haven't won since I was at Florida. And it, was, it even took me a while to win there, too. And he matches the type of quarterback that I had. So sucks to suck. I'm sorry, but Cordell, you know, Cardell Jones is going to be my quarterback, and they're going to ride 12 gauge. Uh, I, I do think that Urban Meyer is going to find time for Braxton Miller and J.T. Barrett. I, those guys are not going to sit and watch. They're going to play. Well, that's the great thing about Ohio State. It's all about competition. You know, nobody thought Chris Carter's kid was going to sit, and he did. I know, but, I mean, Urban Meyer's got a three-headed monster here, and I think he's going to use that three-headed monster to the best of his ability. Well, I think the biggest thing, too, is, like you said, they're going to have to find a way to pick their poison. You know, you you cannot rush Braxton into this. I'm going to tell everybody here right now, and my Twitter handle is jzimmer underscore NFL, so you all can blow me up afterwards. Braxton Miller is not an NFL quarterback. Plain and simple. Well, whether he is or he isn't, I still think he's going to play at at some point during the season for Ohio State. Exactly, and this is where he's going to play. He's going to play in a wildcat role, all right? Because you watch Braxton Miller, and who does he remind you of? He reminds you of a guy that we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Jags in Denard Robinson. So they're going to find a way to get this kid on the field, all right? You know, you got to look at some of the weapons they lost. They lost Evan Smith. They lost Evan Spencer. Yeah, they got Ezekiel in the backfield, and they have a great offensive line. So I would not be surprised if you find a couple of Wildcat-type settings where he's maybe lined up in the slot and he's going to be taking it because he's a hell of a runner, too. I mean, he's ran for 1,000 yards, you know. And then, of course, with JT Garrett, that's going to be the interesting one. I think with the, with the amount of time that he has left uh, in terms of his eligibility, I think Urban Meyer is going to throw him to the Wolves and say, hey, Time to sink or swim, fella. If you can't beat Cardell Jones out, then you're going to hold the clipboard next to me. If you can beat him out, then Cardell will hold the clipboard next to me. No matter what, 
there are not. It's not going to be a, a three-headed attack like it would be if they were all running backs. All right. It's going to be. It's going to be maybe a type of system that they had down in Florida. Uh, if you remember when he was at Florida earlier, back in 2006, the first time they won the national championship, they had a, a big quarterback like they do in Cardell Jones when he had Tim Tebow, and he had Chris Leak, which was kind of his Braxton Miller, but just wasn't as athletic. So I think you're going to find a way to use that package. They're not going to use a third quarterback in that setting. So somebody's going to be the be the odd man out uh, in that situation. But going on, you know, I wanted to add a couple other things to that too with some of the teams they missed. What about TCU, a, a team that realistically had Ohio State not beat Wisconsin, probably would have been in the Final Four in the first place. I believe wholeheartedly right now, no matter whether or not Ohio State won the national championship to begin with, I believe Ohio State should have never been in there in the first place. Should have been TCU. TCU is putting up ungodly numbers. You know, 55, 70, 65, 75, 70, 70. They're averaging 60 to 70 points a game. That's unheard of in college football. Yeah, it was the run and shoot, but it's unheard of. And they weren't giving up very many either against some of the teams that they were playing. And then you look at, of course, you have to, you know, obviously have to throw Alabama's hat into the ring because it's Alabama, like Ralph said, uh, you know, getting five, you know, four or five-star recruits is like putting a pair of slippers on in the morning. Uh, you know, the biggest surprise team for me that nobody's talking about yet is USC. And not South Carolina, but Southern Cal. You got Cody Kessler. You look at some of the weapons this guy has. He's going to have a great backfield. You got Sue Cravens on that defense. You know, you got basically, uh, you know, you got a Dory Jackson. He's virtually a two-way star. He's going to be a, you know, Deion Sanders-type player for them. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, in the in the very beginning, before we got on this whole tirade, it's all based upon getting an argument built up, and we have made a strong argument for the fact that while Ohio State might be worthy of saying that they, they belong in, to be the favorites, you cannot sit there and tell me that Auburn is, is the favorite. No. Because, Ralph, I do believe there's a team in your neck of the woods that's on the up and up. And well, they, they play a song called Rocky Top. Yeah, there's going to be. And I'm uh, telling you right now, they're going to be my sleeper for the SEC this year. Josh Dobbins, that quarterback is unreal. Yeah, there's a lot of talk going around with the uh, volunteers of Tennessee. Are they ready to challenge for the East yet is the big question. But there's no no doubt that. You know, you're looking at quarterback, running back, uh, a defense, an offensive line that was a joke uh, a few years ago for several years that now has the experience, the talent, the depth, the defense. So it's going to be a big test down here in, in, oh, up in Rocky Top in Knoxville. And, yeah, everybody down here in Tennessee is very curious to see what the volunteers are going to do. Butch Jones is – He's brought the fire back here now. Now, but but you see, everything comes with a price because it, it was it was going to go oh so far where you use I don't say the excuse, but the line. Okay, we we need one more year because you know we have to well, and, and just one more. That's over. The people in Knoxville, the fans of Tennessee and volunteer football, they know the time is now. If there's going to be a marked 
a marketable, an a, 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 a increase, an improvement that's noticeable across the land. They've got to win eight, nine games. They've got to beat Florida. They can't lose 10-9 and find any kind of comfort in something like that, especially when they had the game and lost it late in the second half. They've got to beat Georgia. You've got to beat South Carolina. You've got to go in. If you can't beat Alabama, you better play some kind of game against Alabama. But it's time to beat those teams you've been wanting to beat over the course of the last, well, many years since Philip Fulmer's been gone. So, yeah, Tennessee would have something to say about that. Yeah, and I, and I agree. And, and we're going to end that college football talk because we can go on all day about how I believe Tennessee is going to win the SEC. But we've got more important matters to discuss. Uh, Ralph, I, I know you could play some sort of instrument if you want to cue up a sad song for me. Um, LeBron's back home in Cleveland crying, and he's probably wondering why in the hell he went back to Cleveland in the first place. Uh, whether or not he had, you know, it doesn't matter that he had a great playoff performance uh, in the finals, they lost. And I cannot tell you from the depths of my soul how happy I am for Steph Curry and the Warriors for to be the ones to lift the trophy. I absolutely despise LeBron James as an athlete. Yeah, he's a great player, but his attitude is not like none of those who were the greats before him, the Jordans, the Johnsons, the Birds. And so for me... I enjoyed the fact that while he was playing great, they were still losing. I'll let you guys go ahead and uh, throw your two cents and uh, your hats into the ring. John? Look, I, I just think that the, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers just ran out of gas because they ran out of bodies. Um, you know, Losing Kevin Love in that first-round series against the Celtics and then eventually losing Kyrie Irving in, in game one against the Warriors, they just didn't have enough depth to be able to handle, frankly, the best team in the NBA. And I do think that uh, as that series went along, Golden State just wore them down by being able to play fast, hit the three-point shots, and made a, a starting lineup change, putting Andre Iguodala in that starting lineup that really did change the dynamic of, that, uh, of the rotation that Golden State was using and the offense that they were running. And the fact that Andre Iguodala ended up being your MVP of that series, I do think speaks volumes to what kind of an impact he eventually had once he got into that starting lineup. And as far as I can say, guys, look, I go back, obviously, as I always say, we go back, John, a long time watching the NBA and the finals and all the, the big names. And LeBron James came with expectations and we can't imagine what it's like to be inside of him knowing the expectations of others from him and what he did especially in the first three games look it is unbelievable what a human being can pull out of its body out of it out of from the will of its mind to do the things he did the first three games but Guys, we have to, everybody has to continue the argument. The arguments are against LeBron. I ask anyone, if it was Michael Jordan playing oh. on the Cleveland Cavaliers team in his prime now, 
I'm not, I don't have to finish. How many of you out there believe that the Golden State Warriors would be champions now? Because I don't. No Next. way. No. no. Now, here's another one. Here's another one for you. What, in, in my eyes, what makes a player great? Well, many things make a player great. One of the things that, one of the many things that makes a player great is his or her ability to make others around them, if not great, better. Much better. As a matter of fact, much better than they even know they're capable of. LeBron James showed that he's capable of bringing out the best and more from players that, let's face it, without LeBron James, this is a 23, 24, 25 win team, even with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, maybe 30. He makes that much of a difference. But the great ones, let's look at the history. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tim Duncan, Robert Ory, and we can go on and on. What I'm getting at is these guys played on teams that won. And when they got to the NBA Finals, they, for the most part, won. LeBron James, in his incredible history, is now 2-4 and four in NBA Finals. And folks, I don't care how you slice it. And I've been listening to people praise him and praise him, and there is nothing wrong with praising one of the greatest athletes and basketball players we've ever seen in our life and will may ever see again. That doesn't take away from the fact, John, this man is 2-4 and four in the NBA Finals, which tells me this. As great as he may become, as great as some may think he already is, how great is he when he is unable to lead, when he is unable to get the job done to be considered, in my view, to be mentioned among the greats? Well, that's look. That's always going to be the argument with him until he can uh, he can get that uh, record in NBA Finals to at least be uh, 500 or maybe even slightly above. And you know the Cavaliers are going to have some decisions to make now uh, with the, the draft coming up next Thursday night. So who knows what kind of a roster is is going to be available to LeBron and, and that team next year? Who knows what Kevin Love is going to decide to do? You know Tristan Thompson is going to get paid. If not by the Cavs, it's going to be by somebody else. So uh, oh, there are some decisions that need to be made here, and they're going to need to be made real quick uh, to uh, to give the Cavs an opportunity to try and get uh, back up the mountain again. Yes, he he will be paid by the Cavs. Don't don't get that don't get that one twisted, John. They're well, no, I mean, look, if, if he gets paid by the Cavs, then somebody else doesn't, and I, I mean that's the reality of of the salary cap era it, that it, uh, Joe, the I NBA and the it, NHL lives in. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, that's how it works. But when you look at that roster, who would you rather have, Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson? Oh, I agree. And, and again, that's why I say that's the decision and that the Cavs need to start making right now. They've got to decide, you know, which guy is more valuable here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what that decision becomes, uh, whether they, they go with Love or whether they, they decide that Thompson's the guy that they want playing uh, uh, low-block basketball for them next year. Well, and I think that's going to be the thing. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, Della Dova ain't going to be there. 
Well, you know, I mean, I think Del Vadova did what he could do based on the skill level that he brought to the table. Um, and but I think that... Uh, were, but if he were to sign an offer sheet somewhere, I'm telling he is not worth $3 million. I, well, again, I, you know, I mean, you know, this is where the Cavs need to make decisions, and this is where the front office has to make intelligent decisions if this team is going to make uh, another run or, or even a couple of runs while LeBron is still there. They've got to decide what kind of uh, uh, second unit they want to put together, what kind of complementary pieces they want to surround LeBron with so that uh, they can make uh, these runs to, uh, to NBA Finals. Hey, I'll tell you guys this. We talked about LeBron and, and Cleveland, but, you know, any city like Cleveland has as well, any city that waits a long time for a title, you, you have fans that, and, and you, you looked at all the stories, there's a couple of older ladies who sit way up top at Golden State at, or in the, at the Oracle, and <clears throat> they, they've been there for 25 years, I believe. It was a great story showing these ladies sitting there as as the as as the place emptied, as there were no fans in the stands, and now they've seen it grow. And what we watch Steph Curry do, and again, John, we've been privileged to watch. Wow, oh, some of the most unbelievable talent. You know, you didn't mention names like Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, and again, Charles Barkley. We can keep on. Reggie but, Miller. Oh, my God, but the ball-handling skills that this kid has, along with Kyrie Irving, is the most ridiculous ever seen. And Yeah, I agree. I, you love the story. You love the story of the little kid who was told, you, you can't, we're not picking you, you're too small, go play with the little kids, you're not going to make it, you can't go to a big school, you're not going to make it to the NBA, even if you make it to the NBA, you're not going to do anything, well, you know something, Steph Curry sent a message, along, you know, so did the Golden State Warriors, but in Steph Curry's case, he sent a message, you can call me whatever you want, you can say whatever you want about me, as a matter of fact, the people who talked about me can continue to talk about me. All I know, all I know is this. On June 17, 2015, I woke up MVP of the NBA. Oh, yes, and also I am a world champion. Yeah, his ability to handle the basketball with both hands, I think, is by far the most impressive thing that he can do. And when you consider that Clay Thompson really didn't have a very good final for Golden State, they were still able to get enough scoring from the perimeter to make whatever they could do inside work. I think taking Andrew Bogut out of the starting lineup and basically putting him on the bench was a very wise move that Steve Kerr yeah. made uh, because Bogut just wasn't doing anything for that team. And again, that goes back to putting Andre Iguodala into that starting lineup. It really did change the dynamic of how Golden State was going to run that offense. And the other thing I'll say is this. You know, Steve Kerr did a great job coaching that basketball team this year. But how much credit does Mark Jackson get for establishing with Kerr finished this year by winning the championship? I would give him a little bit of credit. I wouldn't give him all of it. Well, he did inherit a 50-win team from Jackson, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how much credit he deserves for laying the foundation for what happened last night. I, mean, like, you know, I think it's a little bit here and there, but I think one of the things that we're missing, you know, we were talking about, you know, you, were, you and both uh, – and, and Ralph were both raving about how this dude 
just has absolutely filthy ball skills. I mean, just absolute filth coming from his fingertips. But what about the NBA record that he set? Or I, I wouldn't even say set, that he shattered. You know, 58 three-pointers was the record before he took over, before he got into the playoffs. Well, I mean, look, he's, and then he's he had the ultimate... Look, he's the ultimate gunsling. I mean, he's just going to keep firing and firing away. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, Steph Curry's got the kind of range that, uh, frankly, very few players possess. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree there. But you know, uh, we can we can continue to talk about LeBron James crying and the fact that we all love Steph because he's absolutely filthy. What the. I tell you what, man, Ralph's on another level. Ralph's on another level. We need to keep him on because he provides that 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 back noise entertainment that we need. You know, we we don't need a soundboard anymore. We'll just cue it to Ralph, and Ralph will make the noise for us. That was a that was a diaper change uh, for LeBron, John. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, okay, okay. We got NHL players playing hockey with their faces cut and bloody and getting beaten to a damn pulp on the ice while the referees, the fans, and all of us watch. This is two guys who are pummeling each other on the ice after they've been banging each other's bodies and trying to break each other to pieces for who knows how long on the ice, and you want to run off the call? Oh, God, my head is cut. Ooh. Seriously, it, I mean, we don't want you to be hurt or anything like that. But the theatrics of going to the sidelines when he gets hit in the arm, like I, I thought, he, I looked back the other way. I thought his arm broke and it was on the ground the way he was reacting. It's like you know, I'm because uh, I'm confident because I'm the best player in the world. It's that well, simple. I do admit that comment that he made on Monday probably didn't serve him very well at all. The greats don't do that. The greats oh, don't. Oh, I agree. They do don't. That. I agree. We I already agree. know you. We already know your best player in the world. What was that? A security blanket? <laughs> I agree. I Dude, do agree. Seriously, why don't you concentrate on finding a way? Look, guys, I just play basketball on the playground. That's it. But I have more fire inside of me than that. Uh, and if I'm breaking apart and I'm breaking apart, well, by God, I'm going to break right there. You know, you, you, you take me out. Never mind. It, listen, there's a responsibility with being the so-called greatest. And I'm sorry. I don't care what his name is. If you go to the championship round six times and you're two and four, you must be playing in a system that has allowed you the glory of winning two NBA titles. But when you go to six NBA finals and win six times, when you go five times in 15 years and win five times, when you go eight times in one decade, like the Celtics and the Lakers, we don't have to talk anymore. But when you're surrounded with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and what you guys had over there, and you can only get two and four, and you come back home, great job getting them there. But you're still two and four. Get the name off the list. You want to put the name on the list? Somebody talk to me after he's won another. I don't know. Let me see. Hold on. Maybe after he's won not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but many more titles. 
Well, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think he's going to be around long enough to be able to do that. Yeah. No, I I agree with you on that one, John. Uh, Ralph, we are going to we're going to focus this last one on you because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have this topic. And so, with that being said, I will immediately turn it over to you and give you the floor as we are talking about college athletic programs benefiting from, would we like to call it dirty play? I don't know if that's a good word that we should probably use, but dirty play in terms of uh, the police force on college campuses. I do have some pretty good stats in front of me here before I throw this over to, uh, before I do throw this over to Ralph. This was a study done by Outside the Lines that's talking about how lawyer statues and public backlash aid college athletes accused of crimes and how crimes basically uh, the fact that, you know, they, they give a great example of former Florida running back and who was also former Indianapolis Colt and Pittsburgh Steelers third-round pick Chris Rainey was named a suspect five times in a crime uh, during his time at the University of Florida in Gainesville. He only faced charges once. All right. I, you know, in this article, just continues to go down and down with some great numbers. Uh, college athletes and crimes outside the line studied how many college men's and football players were suspects in incidents. If I had to give you guys a guess, which was the number one school for the number of incidents and the number of athletes involved? If I had, if you had to take a guess. Well, I believe it was Florida was the uh, the answer to that. Yep, number, Florida, num- Florida State, number would be 80. Number would be 80. Yeah. And then Florida State was right behind them, I think. Uh, with yep, a number yeah, of, Florida with was a number of 66. Yeah. 66 players. Yep. So, so Ralph, uh, proceed. Anytime, anytime, John, you know me through the years. Anytime I get a chance to bash the bleep CS. Oh, wait a minute. They're dead. It doesn't okay. exist anymore. Thank God. Thank God Almighty. Amen. Uh, anytime I get to bash the NCAA and its proud, wonderful, upstanding, integrity-filled association with itself, I don't mince any words. And, you know, first and foremost... For anyone out there that read this report, heard the report, listened to anything about it, know it inside out what we know already. And if you're surprised, do a Rip Van Winkle. Go to sleep. Don't wake up till 2035 because this is not a surprise. There, can you imagine the things that have been going on in college, in college athletics through the years, in this case, the major sports of football and basketball that we don't even know about yet. You've got reports here. For example, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan State being sued because they won't even release information. What do you mean you won't release information? Why? You know what I get tired of? I get tired of commercials. I get tired of advertisements. I get tired of reading reports everywhere about the integrity 
of the NC2A, about how it cares about its athletes, about it, how it gives a damn about its students, about how it cares what goes on inside the doors of that building when the only thing that the ones upstairs in the biggest chairs care about is how much bigger their chair can get, how much bigger their pocket can get, how much more money that they can make off these athletes that bust their ass every day, seven days a week, 30 days, 31 days a month, off-season and everything because they understand what it's going to take to make it to the next level. And even those that don't work that hard, it doesn't matter because the NCAA continues to prove that the most important thing for them is to be a money-making machine, to control its environment and act like it is a governing body, like it is a government, like it's a state, like it's a country, like, well, like it's a... uh, Well, what's the opposite for democracy? Let's not go into politics and answer that question, as we all know the answer to that question. And all that happens over and over again, as this report shows, you've got members of the administration, members of the coaching staff, God knows who else, lawyers showing up already there before it appears the situation even happened. But yet, over and over again, If you, a regular person, commit these crimes, you're going to jail. I'm not even going to go into the race factor because we're not talking about race right now. But God forbid you are of the wrong race because your ass is going straight to jail. You're not passing go. You're not collecting $200. They're going to close the door, and every time you ask a question, they're going to look at you like, what did you say? But no. If you are a high-profile university and you have high-profile athletes, That gives us the right as the NC2A and the administration of this university to be above the law, to be above anything that any of you regular people are above because we are better than you. Our athletes are better than you. What we do is bigger than the world and bigger than what goes on in the world. And it it gets old. And, and John, you know how I felt about the bleep CS. And I couldn't wait for that son of a bridge to collapse, and it did and it died, and I wait for the day, and I hope that I live for the day that the NC2A implodes right from the inside. We watch it crumble like a whole city coming down with bombs with no humans in it, except those guilty for all these crimes. Because I personally, as a man who has enjoyed football for over half a century, is sick and tired of the abuse from the NC2A, the abuse from the administration, the abuse from those who preach every single day that they are there for the athletes, that they're there for the school, that it's about the education, that it's about the athlete. You know what? You're lucky I can't say it on the air, so I'll say it this way. Bull spit, kiss my ass. Tired of it. Well, I do think this report... uh... You know, uh, the thing I was impressed about it was the fact that it did name some names and it did uh, get a bit more specific than uh, uh, I was kind of expecting. I, I thought this was going to be a bit more of a generalized statement, but uh, they uh, they got kind of specific. Uh, I thought the uh, the Oklahoma State story involving Travis Ford was, was certainly disturbing, to say the least, and it wasn't the only one that was a part of this article that was disturbing. Um, again, I, I just think that... Uh, you know, cover-up is, is really the word that needs to be used here, and I think that's really what this article was attempting to explain, that uh, uh, Power Five conference schools have several different ways to be able to uh, put things under the rug, and they do it rather well. Yeah, and, and that was one thing that I, I wanted to get to, 
And we're also being joined by, it appears to be Jamie Council. Um, so we will get her opinion on this shortly. But I wanted to go back to what Ralph was talking about first. Ralph, you made, uh, if I was in the same room as you, I'd give you a kiss. Because that was perfect. Mwah. Wow. I stuck it to the NCAA. But what we are forgetting is that it's not just the NCAA. It's the schools themselves as well. Yeah. I, and I think the individual schools involved here is probably more important than the NCAA in general. Well, yes and no. Uh, I, I agree completely with what Ralph had to say. I, I think, like I said, I think his, his argument was, was perfect. His rant was ex- exactly on cue and, and on point in, in all of the points that he made. But you, you look at the Florida State uh, Associate Athletic Director, Mock Bonasorti, who often communicates with police when Seminole players are accused of crimes. Let's let's rewind back real quick to when they were talking about, uh, you know, when he was at, uh, when they were doing the investigations for Jameis Winston. Uh, a little excerpt right here says, in Tallahassee, outside the lines, found at least nine examples from 2009 to 2014 in which officers documented that Florida State coaches or athletic department officials tried to determine when and where city police would interview athletes or attempted other involvement. Uh, you, you know, uh, that's something that you, you, you cannot do uh, at all. Uh, it also says uh, down a little bit below, a civil lawsuit filed this year against Florida State uh, for how it addressed allegations of sexual assault against then-quarterback, now Tampa Bay Buccaneer Jameis Winston, includes an allegation that Bonasorti did not permit Tallahassee police detectives to contact two witnesses who were also football players on the university program until Bonasorti had already called their attorneys for him. So, John, it's exactly what you said. It is a pure-driven cover-up, but to go to complement with what Ralph said, where the hell is the NCAA in all this? Because the NCAA is the one that can put their foot down. You know, we look at uh, the recruiting violations and how it gave SMU the death penalty and how Miami almost got the death penalty because of recruiting violations. You know, an example, uh, Ralph, Jamie, John, you guys are all recruits. I, I work for uh, I Don't Care University and we're a top five program. So I slip you a couple hundred dollars here, Jamie, and oh, John, I, I see you like partying with girls. So I, I, I pay a couple girls to hang out with you for an evening with some of my football players. And then, Ralph, I, I see that you love fast cars. So I have one of my coaches pick you up in a fast car and let you drive it around the weekend. So maybe I dabbled a little bit there. Are, are we, are we, this argument is now becoming to where we are saying that recruiting violations and recruiting infractions are more serious than the fact that we have legal and criminal violations going on within university institutions and within the NCAA, and we're not doing a damn thing about it. Like John said, we're sweeping it under the rug. Why? And it goes back to what you said, Ralph, because it's all about the money. Whether the bleep CS is here or not, it's all about the money, and that's all they care for. Well, especially you're talking about two sports that generate a tremendous amount of money, and so that's going to be protected, and that's what these universities... And that's what the NCAA is doing, whether you talk about the bowl games in football or the basketball tournament on the men's side in, in, in that sport. Uh, all of this money that's being generated from all of these corporate sponsors are going to be protected as best they possibly can. 
And stories like this, I think, will demonstrate just how far these universities and maybe even the NCAA will go to protect all of the money that's being made just from these two sports. Exactly. And I'm going to get Jamie, uh, Jamie in on this now so that she can uh, throw her two cents into the ring. Jamie, obviously, you've heard us go back and forth a little bit uh, since you've been sitting in. Um, basically, what's what's your take on it? Obviously, you 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 know mine, you know John's, and you know Ralph's now. But now we have a third person, uh, a former college athlete in itself, who, as bad as it sounds, you know, we did go to the same university, so we have been in a an athletic department that has had criminal problems. Mm-hmm. What do you think this says about? You know, number one, the NCAA, but what's it also say about the universities? Well, first off, thank you for having me on. But I don't know, this is kind of a tough subject um, because I, I work in the news and you kind of see a lot of, a lot of different things going on. I think as far as uh, to answer your question, what does it say about the NCAA and the schools, um, I would, you know, I, I agree with Ralph that it's all, it's all about money, you know, about having the bigger chair. How can I get my chair bigger? And you're going to do anything to get to that. But I think more, I mean, to me, it seems like a character issue. Like, um, you know, the leadership, like, what are you, oh, you know, like, these young boys like girls, like, obviously, they're going to, you know, and take it, take it whatever way they want, you know, whether it's legal or not legal or whether the coaches are buying it, you know, buying uh, girls for them or, you know, everything that was going on. But I think that uh, the NCAA has been preaching, you know, building these athletes up, that it's always been about, um, you know, developing characters, especially the NFL, you know, characters. And there's a lot of great characters in the NFL. But then there's also the other side, which is what this whole conversation is about. So I think that it's more of a character issue for the leadership. I mean, you saw what happened with FIFA. Like, that imploded. What if uh, what if there's some big thing that comes down on the NCAA? And I know Ralph, you know, said that he would love to see it implode because of, you know, the bad leadership. But more so, it's kind of a character. They're supporting, you know, they're supporting these athletes. It's just like they can, they can go out, you know, drive drunk, do do drug, do whatever they're doing on any day of the week. But when it comes to game days, as long as they're putting those points up, they're getting those wins. They're building the program. They're like, good job, pat on the back, slap on the butt, whatever. So these, you know, it's kind of like uh, Pavlov's dogs or yeah Pavlov's dogs I mean you know trying to get sorry to get so philosophical but it's kind of like you know you're 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 training them to you know do whatever you want but as long as you're winning that's good and people's natural natural um, tendencies is to test the boundaries young men that you know like girls like of course they're going to hop at the chance to do that they're going to you know, like everybody's young once and everybody's, you know, kind of figuring out who they are and taking any opportunities they get. And it's like, why are you providing them with these opportunities? If people want to be involved in that, you should make them go search for it because there's plenty of good things. I mean, not all these schools are bad. And I think it's, I think it's really sad that, you know, people who are missing out are the people that are following the rules. I mean, let's face it, you're talking about Power Five conference schools here, and I think that's the other part of it that needs to really be uh, uh, put out there, is that uh, for those that are playing in uh, 
the mid-major schools in, in college football, the Ivy League schools, you don't hear about this stuff. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but you just don't hear about it. But at the Power Five conference schools, it does appear that uh, these conferences are just running amok, and they've been doing it for quite some time. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It, you know, it's like what Jamie said, and it's like what I said, and it's like what Ralph said, and it's like what you said. They've had to be doing this for a while because you look at recruiting infractions. Recruiting infractions have been happening for years. So you can't sit there and tell me that this possibly wasn't going on in the 80s. I would almost guarantee it. But what, what, I, what I stem from, and I, I want to go back to Ralph, because Ralph, like I said, Ralph just absolutely bleeping killed it. Uh, you know, with, with what he said about how if you're a normal human being, not an athlete, you don't have a name, or maybe you're an athlete, but you don't have a future. You're, you're not an NFL guy. Because let's remember, I think that's another thing that people are starting to, to forget that not everybody that is an NCAA star or a college football player is going to go to the NFL. Because if that were the case, sorry, Ralph, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to go work out, you know. Uh, it, that's not the case at all, you know. Uh, it's but it, so going back to that, if, if you don't have a name, then you fall under the, the same prejudice, you know, of, of, a, of a normal human being. Oh, we're gonna slap you on the wrist. You're gonna get fined, you know, you're, or not fined, but you're gonna get suspended, or, or we're gonna kick you off the program, or you're gonna be probably expelled from school. And depending on how serious it is, we're gonna have a legal matter with it. Uh, you know, just today, I'm, you know, we're, I'm watching the FS1, you know, Fox Sports 1 right now because the soccer game was on. At bottom of the ticker, University of Texas let go two safeties today, one of them for getting in trouble with the law and the other one for, for academics. In, Indiana University let go of a safety today because he got in trouble with dope. But, again, are we, are we going to hear that he got, he's going to get those charges dropped? You know, so it's becoming an issue that is becoming a lot stronger than what it really should be. You know, like Ralph said, it's plain and simple. It doesn't matter if you're Peyton Manning or if you're, you know, Joshua Zimmer who lives in Minot, North Dakota, who, who played college football, and that was it. Uh, if you break the law, no amount of money or no amount of name or, or recognition it should be getting you out of that. Thank you. And, and how about the fact that people have waited through the years for parity? I want parity in college football. I, I want to see the little guys win. I, I, I want to see a Division II team, uh, uh, this small Division I team, do something that's never been done before. Hey, they don't have the money to compete. You guys were talking earlier about the girls and the cars and whatever is, is supplied. You think South Dakota, North Dakota, other schools got the funds to do this crap? No. They, they're trying to get money for the programs. These schools have so much money that the Power Fives essentially assure themselves of a national championship every year because it's already bought and paid for. So what are we really looking at? So I, I, I wrote in, in, in last 48 when I broached this topic here, what, what's the solution, guys? What's one of the solutions? Same solution that it is for every sport when we really get pissed and sick and tired of stuff. But this solution will never happen. At least I would love to see it in my lifetime. Stop going to the games. Stop buying the merchandise. Stop. Stop watching it. Stop it. It doesn't exist. 
and you see how fast our games get cleaned up. You see how fast the people in power start knocking on your door, door by door, begging, what can we do to fix this when their big fat pockets start emptying out like a river with a big gigantic drain? Then it will change. But unfortunately, we're going to keep going to the games. We're going to keep watching them. We're going to keep listening to them. We're going to keep buying the merchandise. You're just going to keep on, keep on, keep on, giving everybody the license in those positions to say, screw all of you. <laughs> we're making all the money in the world. We're the richest people around. We, we're basically our own government. We're, we're our own country called the NC2A. With a bunch of universities called Power Five, and you know, it's like the patient in the coma. Hey, how's it going? No change. Well, and I agree. Like I, I like Jamie's point. You know, what happened if you know, and how you're wishing for it. And Ralph, I'm right there with you because I, I wouldn't. See, I've been in the you know the NCAA system for five years, and I absolutely despised every last damn thing they did for the athlete. So I completely agree with you on that. But I like Jamie's point that she made it. What happened if it would be a, a situation like FIFA, where they had a, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the solution. Maybe you have to have a legitimate private investigation on these Power 5 schools, because like John said, it, not meaning that it's not happening at Division 2 or Division 3, because I'm telling you how it works at D2, D3. It doesn't matter who you are. You, you're going to jail. You're a normal human being. Your chance, cause you're, they realize that your chances of going to the NFL are slim to none. Yeah, you're fried. So have a have a legitimate private investigation of these Power Five schools that have already been implemented inside of this. I would like to say, uh, personally, half-assed done investigation because this if this was truly an in-depth investigation, this should be a hell of a lot longer. But I like some of the bullet points that they have. Have a legit private investigation, and then you come out with your findings, and then you hammer, and you start witch hunting. And that will clean it up. But until then, you're still going to have schools, universities, directors, you name it, and hell, maybe even police officers, depending on where they're at. You know, if it's a town in Alabama, I've never been to Alabama, or a town in Texas, I've never been to Texas either, only to play. But I know that football is life. And God, at least in the South, was Lou Saban. And now it's Nick Saban, unless you live in Tennessee, Ralph. Uh, and then it's uh, then it's normal, holy man. But that's how it works, and that's what they need to do because that's the only way it's going to get changed. It ain't going to get changed by us bitching and moaning and protesting it because, like like you guys have all mentioned and made all great points, they make millions and millions of dollars off of playing a game. Do they really care what the normal public thinks? No, but the moment they come out and start looking for criminal actions in front of it, they will, and that will really make Mr. Emmert change his act and maybe help change some of these policies that he's been turning down for so long. That's that's what how I I completely see it. Um, playoffs, playoffs. But. Uh, but you know, you know, Ralph, it was great to have you on the show this week, though. You know, you're filling in for Montel. Montel's out in South, you know, Southern uh, South Carolina, just you know, soaking up the sun and and whatever else they do down there in South Carolina. 
maybe maybe he's going to try some surfing. I doubt it. I don't know if they surf in South Carolina. Um, I know they probably surf in Florida. Uh, but it was good to have you on and throw your hat into the ring and make it like old times. This makes it feel like we were flashing back to, to 2014. Ah, and uh, it was my absolute pleasure to be on, ladies and gentlemen. As we always tell you, remember, of course, thank you. For listening to the flagship show, the NGSC Weekly on NGSC Sports Radio, of course. You know where to find us. NGSCSports.com is the website. You can hear us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, iHeart, the website, anything else you can make up. And, you know, as things happen, I always like to tell you guys, things are going to happen. And things are happening in the background at NGSC Sports. So please stay tuned for... Well, stuff that will come down the pike is, oh, I hope I don't get in trouble with my number two on that. But I'll tell you why I always tell you these things. A, you know, we're always busy. We, we keep things going. And, and if you ask why, it's real simple. NGSC Sports, we never stop. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me this evening. It was an absolute pleasure. The wife has walked in the door right on time. So I guess this is a good time for me to say John, a blast from the past, uh, it went something like, uh, I'm so glad we had this time together, just to have a laugh or sing a song. I'm going to quit singing this so Josh can get finished. So it's time for me to say so long. Good night, everybody, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, let's see you, Ralph. And then, of course, uh, having Jamie Council on. Jamie, as always, it's great to have you on. Again, Jamie. I forgot Jamie. I'm sorry. Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How you doing, Jamie? You doing all right? KMOT. KMOT. By the way, thank you for the soccer article, folks, World Cup. Soccer, USA, women, she covered it. And, well, Everybody knows how it did because you're all reading it out there. But uh, I wanted to say uh, hi to Jamie and let me give the show back because it ain't my show no more. <laughs> good night, children. Yeah. Good night, old, good night, old man John. Talk to you <laughs> so, of course, as Ralph said, and I'm going to reiterate, it's always nice to have Jamie back on with us whenever we can. Again, go out there and read her uh, soccer article. She has wisdom beyond her years. And hell, she played it for a little bit, too, so she's a little smart at it. Uh, and then stay on the lookout for myself, and we'll be having some more NFL stuff rolling down the pike for you, getting ready for some training camp stuff. We'll have some, some big news to be uh, to be reaching out for you guys and letting you guys know here in the couple, uh, coming weeks. John, as always, my friend, it is good to have you on. I hope you have ah, it's always good to be here. Oh, yes, sir. Hope you have yourself a good week. As to well as all of our listeners, again, you are listening to the NGSC Weekly Show, the flagship show, that is, on NGSC Sports Radio at NGSCSports.com. And as all of Ralph said, all of our platforms, which is Spreaker, iTunes, iHeart, you guys, same time, same place. Have yourselves a good week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.